You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, as we continue our time of worship this morning in the Word, uh, just want to extend um, both this morning and last week, say how incredibly thankful I am uh, that God has seen fit to bring us both uh, Ashlyn, um, as she has been leading us from the piano, and then Stephanie this week, and God has just been so incredibly gracious to us. Um, to bring us more instrumentalists. And uh, Miss Jane and I were talking this morning earlier uh, today, and and, uh, and it's actually seeming it's going to get more full up here, and we're going to have to send some more people out there because God is just providing so many instrumentalists. And by God's grace, we have uh, almost entirely two different teams entirely uh, that, that could come and lead us. So uh, God has just been incredibly gracious. Can we just give him a thanks offering this morning and thank God for what he's done? Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter four, we're continuing our series, our study together through this book and looking at key things, key characteristics of the early church and characteristics that are not just applicable to our church, but ultimately characteristics that are applicable to every single church. These are universal characteristics in the life of the church. And so I want to just, again, place these before you. I'm actually going to put them on the screen before you this morning so that you can get them down if you haven't seen them yet. So five things that we've looked at so far. We as the church depend upon God's spirit we need to know exactly what we're to do from God and to be led by His Spirit in everything that we do. Jesus is our message. We do not have a social gospel, a political gospel, gospel, or any other kind of gospel. We have a biblical gospel. Jesus Christ is our message. Third, a biblical community. We are not just a social club. We're not just a a family of friends that we come together and enjoy one another's company, although, praise the Lord, we do. That's by God's grace. But we, we do so because we are a biblical community. The Bible is at the heart of everything that we do and everything that we are. Fourth, we have a ministry of healing. Just as Jesus had a ministry of healing, we also should be a place where as people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they find healing in Jesus' name, spiritual healing at this place called Southwide Baptist Church. And then finally, we looked at last over the last three weeks, really, supernatural boldness. The call upon every believer to Proclaim the word of God with boldness to everyone that we meet. So many facets of that that we looked at over the last three weeks. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages so that you pick up 
or what God is saying to us about boldness. So we come to a final passage this morning, the passage that reminds us that we are to be generous, generous hearts. And that generosity, I would just say to you before we even dive into this passage, uh, that that generosity is something I want to commend in you. Over the course of the last two to three months, four months especially, um, we have had a difficulty gathering together in one place. Uh, but by God's grace and praise to the Lord alone, you have not failed to continue to be generous and faithful in your giving. And I praise God for that. Um, His grace in you. And so what I I want us to see this morning in God's word is how that is rooted and grounded in the Bible. It's not just something that we do because we love this place called Southwide. It's something we do because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are not at a place in your life where you're being faithful in your giving, I want to call us to more of this. Because the more we give, the more God blesses and uses those things for His glory and for the advance of His gospel. And that's what we see here in this passage, is a community of generosity. So if you've found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look together at the end of chapter 4, the final section there, and the beginning of verse or chapter 5 as we continue through this series together in Acts. This is Acts chapter 4 verse 32. And the Bible says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called the apostle, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money And laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. 
Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed to gather agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Jesus, we pray this morning that you would help us to see rightly what is here in your word. That you would guard us from preconceived ideas coming to this text with certain presuppositions about finances or about giving or about the local church. I pray that you would empty us of all of those things right now and that we would come to your word and your word alone. And that your word would be the authority on which we build our lives because you have all authority and all power and God, you have spoken. And if this is your word, then we are We are obligated to bow the knee to your authority this morning. And so I pray that you would help us by your grace to do that. That, of course, begins with bowing the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. And so we pray that you would cause the gospel to to rise up for us and to become clear in this passage that we would see you, Jesus, as Lord and as Master And that you would become savior to some, maybe even here this morning among us or some that are online that do not know you as Lord and savior of their lives. I pray for repentance and faith in Christ and that as they're saved, you would be glorified and that it would be seen as an act of a holy God to bring forth new life in Christ. Lord, lead us and show us what is here. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Generous hearts. Those two words are not found in this passage, but I get those two words from a previous passage. Maybe you've been with us for some time and you saw this uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 and following. So let me just remind you of this kind of biblical community that we saw there in Acts chapter 2 verse 44. It says that all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. Notice this phrase with glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. And he goes on praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see this theme throughout the book of Acts, not just in chapter 2 and chapter 4. You start to see this resounding theme throughout this book that people were selling their possessions or bringing large sums of money, or giving giving even small sums of money, giving everything that they had because they had come to the place where they believed that the gospel was worth their lives. Any needs around them, they said, I want to lay down everything that I have to meet these needs. And so what, did exa- what exactly did that look like? Well, Acts chapter 2 just gives us a taste 
shows us the, the picture, if you will. And Acts chapter 4 begins to explain what that looked like on a more detailed level. And so you see it here in verse 32 and following. Notice verse 32. No one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 34. Again, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them. I mean, this is an an amazing thing, right? Selling houses and land and possessions in order that needs might be met around them. And they brought it to the apostles' feet and laid it down, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Verse 36, you see this man named Barnabas, and he does the same. Sells this this. Uh, field that belonged to him so that they could bring the money to the apostles and it could be distributed as there was need. And why would they do something like this? I mean, this is crazy thinking, right? Why would you sell what you have? And we're not talking about small things. We're talking about large giving. Why would you sell what you have in order to give to the local church And meet these needs. Well, the refrain in the middle of verse 33 that that we keep hearing again and again and again. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. The preaching of the gospel. They had come to treasure that reality so much. The gospel was such a a treasure to them. The the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus shed for them was such a great treasure that what they said is, I'm willing to sell everything I have in order that that gospel might go forth. It's mission and ministry oriented. It's not just benevolence. We need to be careful there. They're not just meeting the needs of the hungry because people are hungry They're meeting the needs of the hungry because people are spiritually hungry. People need spiritual food and it's found only in the gospel of Christ. Furthermore, they're receiving and distributing those proceeds, not just simply at random. That that process is being overseen by the local church. So notice they came and they brought it to the apostles feet. They laid it at the apostles feet. So there's the receiving And it was distributed to each as any had need. There's an oversight happening here. The local church is then responsible for stewarding those resources. Together we come together and say we want to meet the needs of those around us. And we want people to hear the gospel. This was giving that didn't just support any local need. This was giving that supported the spiritual needs of the community. The gospel kept being preached in order that in order for that to continue to happen. The the church was receiving these funds and people were being generous. It was not a grudge bearing, resentful, even legalistic, duty bound kind of giving. If I don't give to the Lord, he's going to get me. That wasn't the goal. It was rather a selfless, joyful, faithful, sacrificial kind of giving because they had come to know the gospel as a greater treasure than anything else they could know in their lives. And so the principle is clear. 
God expects the church to give with generous hearts to support the ministry of the gospel. This is the call on our lives. That's the main idea of these two passages kind of split over the beginning and the end of this chapter. God expects the church to give with generous hearts to support the ministry of the gospel. That's the call on our lives. Generous giving is then the clear pattern of the New Testament church. And we've talked about this before, right? We've talked about what giving looks like in the local church. The principle of tithing does not seem to translate from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But even though we don't see the tithe reintroduced in the New Testament, what we do see is certainly the same amount of giving, if not more giving on the part of the local church. In the Old Testament, people were giving of their increase. At least that's the way that we see it. In the New Testament, people are actually getting rid of things in order to give more. It's an amazing picture. And notice that the statement says, God expects. What do I mean by that? You see, giving is not just a good thing to do. Is it a good thing to do? Sure it is. Is giving something that God will bless? Absolutely it is. But those things are not in question. Because if those things are the issue, well then giving is a good thing and a beneficial thing, but it's not an obligation. It's not necessary. Or maybe to state it more pointedly, if that's the only reason for our giving because it's a good thing to do, then it's not a matter of sinfulness if you don't. So the real question is, does God actually expect it? Is this a matter of obedience in our lives? And that is where this text is so instructive. Because there is both a positive and a negative picture of giving here in the passage. The community... And their generosity. And then there's an example, right, of Barnabas who gives. And that is, that is, um, given accolades or, or a pat on the back. This is what it should look like. But then you get over to this story in chapter five of Ananias and Sapphira. They're struck down dead because they don't give. I mean, this has to be a serious issue. They had given. But they had not given according to the measure with which God had given them. And more importantly, they had selfish hearts in their giving. They withheld for themselves and lied about what they were giving. And it says that God struck them down dead. You see, it's a divine expectation. God commands generosity. But it's not like the command of the Old Testament where it's giving because of what the law says to do. Rather, it's giving as a joy and a privilege because the God who commanded it is the very God whom we love and therefore want to give our entire lives to. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We often read this passage when it comes to our giving. But it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And verse 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having, listen to this, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's the reason we give. So that in all things, at all times, all circumstances, the church, as the body of Christ together, that we might abound in every good work. I want to come back to that thought when we begin to unpack this text together. So what I want you to see, this main idea, generous hearts, God expects us to have generous hearts and to give generously for the advancement of the gospel. What does that look like in our life and why is it so incredibly important? Well, what we see here in the narrative is some pictures of generous giving and reasons why that we might be generous, what that accomplishes in our lives or what it shows in our lives. And and there are five of them, and they begin here in verse 32. So I want you to notice them with me this morning. Number one, generous giving is an expression of spiritual unity. Generous giving is an expression of spiritual unity. So look at verse 32 with me. It says, Now the full number of those who believed, what does it say about them? All of them, not some of them, but the full number of those who believed. We're talking about Christians. They were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That is a verse that describes unity if I have ever seen it. And it is unity not just of mind and heart. In this case, he's describing a unity of possessions. No one that had something of their own thought that it was their own, but rather they saw, listen to this, they saw their homes, their cars, their finances. They saw their whole lives as given to them such that when there was need, that they were able, that they were privileged with being able to give for the sake of meeting those needs and for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. They were together Out of this unity rose giving. This passage is not, as it has been used often, a proof text for socialism. Just so that you are aware. It's distinctly different than what it would look like for everyone in the United States to kind of have things in common. It's distinctly different because this is a community that's filled with the Spirit of God. It's a community that's led by God's word, under God's authority, seeking God's glory. God is at the helm of this having everything in common. They're not united by their possessions. They're not united by their nationality. They're not united by those things. They're united in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there is this accountability to God and His authority. They were not power-seeking or lazy or oppressive in any way, trying to manipulate any circumstances, but rather in deep honesty, trying to serve and meet the needs of their community. This was unity. And it's a unity that only the gospel can bring. 
I'm reminded as they as it talks about this full number of those who believed being of one heart and one soul. I'm, I'm reminded of Ephesians. One of the key themes of, of the book of Ephesians, and we've walked through this together, is unity. We saw two passages in particular, the one in chapter two, and we really we could read this entire chapter. But this one that's reminding the Gentiles that they were they were in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were, listen to this word, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. By the way, this is the condition of all people born into this world. By nature, we are separated from God and without hope, without God in the world. We need rescue. And what happens is when the gospel rescues us, when Jesus by his blood rescues us, those who were once without hope and without God in the world, watch what happens. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of Hostility. And he goes on to describe how he did that. Such that when we get over to Ephesians chapter 4, he describes believers in this way. That we should walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. to With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he says there is one body and one spirit Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Our God is one. Our salvation is one. There is no other. God's people are one. And out of that should flow an incredible generosity. And that's the same picture we see in Acts. That's what he's saying. When we give, we're actually demonstrating that we are one. You know, it's interesting that when a people and particularly when the church becomes divided, the very first thing that begins to happen is people stop giving. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? We hold it to ourselves for whatever reason, store it up, maybe spend it on other things. Or sometimes we start giving to a particular need that we like or we think that we can control. But notice what Luke says here. Here's what he tells us about the early church. It says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. It's no personal agenda. It's the corporate agenda. It's the mission of the church. This is what's driving together for the same mission, for the same God, for his glory alone. We give of everything that we have in order that the greatest news in all the world might go to the ends of the earth. That's the call on our lives. Unity. Secondly, not only does it express unity in our lives, it actually, generous giving is a support for gospel ministry. It's a support for gospel ministry. And by the way, God could have chosen any other means. I want to just be clear about that up front. It doesn't take any money to share the gospel. But God has chosen the giving of his people 
in order to support the ministry of the local church. This is the call on our lives. So it says, verse 33, that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. It happened as they gave. As they gave, the ministry kept going. That's God's design. A church cannot continue to do the work of the ministry apart from God's people giving for the sake of supporting the work of the ministry. Again, it doesn't take money to share your faith, but it does take money uh, money to do the work of the ministry. And we're called out together as a church to do that. And so the gospel is the whole reason that we both gather and scatter, right? So in this giving... They were giving testimony. The apostles were giving testimony. So what does that look like? The gathering, the formal preaching and teaching of God's word. That's what you are supporting. One thing says with great power, the apostles were giving testimony, right, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then it says great grace was upon them all. The same giving goes to support the practical ministry of the local church as we together When we go out and do backyard Bible clubs, when we go out and serve our community, when we go proclaiming the gospel, these proceeds go to support that work of the ministry. And God has intended it to be that way. Giving is the method of support. This is confusing to so many who are not maybe didn't grow up in church or not been in church all their lives. But the local church, God has God has designed that the local church be supported By worshipers. It's God's design. There is no money coming from anywhere else. We do what we do because God through you is providing for the ministry needs of our church. Third, not only does it support ministry and express spiritual unity, but generous giving is an act of physical sacrifice. Generous giving is an act of physical sacrifice. So notice verse 32 is kind of where this begins. It says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But that carries over into verse 34. It says that there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and distributed. And it was distributed to each as anyone had need. Generous giving is an act of physical sacrifice. They sold their possessions. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine? Maybe, maybe you, you do investment real estate or, or maybe you have uh, an extra car at your house or, or maybe the, these, these people are literally selling the things that they have because they say, you know what? There's a need. We want to sell those things and then give those proceeds to the church for the sake of God's glory and honor. That's not, listen, that's not a prosperity action, prosperity gospel action. That is a biblical gospel action. We see it right here in the book of Acts. Even people bringing small gifts. We see, you think about the widow's might in the gospels. We see this story over and over, but giving, giving in a way that is not just Giving the leftover that we have, right? Even the widow's might, though it was a small amount, was an act of physical sacrifice. Why would anyone do that? What it says is I treasure the gospel of Christ 
more than I treasure anything that I have. It is worth giving something up on my part that I could never keep anyway. So that someone who doesn't know Jesus might come to know him as Lord and Savior of their life. That's what that says. Because we've come to know Jesus as our greatest treasure. It is like the man who found the treasure in the field. And when the man found the field, it it was for sale and he went and he sold everything that he had, all of his possessions. And he bought this field and people thought he was crazy. But why did he buy this field? Because he knew what was buried there. He knew the treasure of surpassing value. And he went and he bought the field and gained the treasure. You see, Jesus has been given to us as the most precious treasure we could ever know. The blood of Jesus Christ is more valuable than rubies or diamonds or anything else that we could have. The reality is when we give up anything for the sake of Jesus, we've given up nothing and gained everything. Do you see that? Do you see that? And oh, how much we have been blessed. Furthermore, whenever we give things up and we value Jesus as our treasure, what we are pointing to is a more supreme sacrifice than the one that we are giving even ourselves. The greatest sacrifice that was ever given, the supreme physical and spiritual sacrifice is when Jesus Christ gave His life on the cross. To to look at Jesus and to say, your life, your blood is not worth this particular possession is to miss... The surpassing value of knowing Him. To miss the surpassing value of His blood. And what is so precious about the blood of Jesus, listen to me carefully, every single one of us, me, you, and everyone joining us online, every single one of us is born a sinner, separated from a holy God, destined toward an eternal hell, and there is no price that could be paid by any human or the collective whole in order for us to be right with God. Only the blood of the perfect Son of the living God, Jesus Christ himself could be shed for us and pay that price and satisfy the wrath of a holy God. And it has been paid. Oh, how precious the blood of Christ is. And so imagine the heart of the father, the heavenly father, as he watched the excruciating pain of his only son pain that he did not deserve, the death that he did not deserve, as he himself, God Almighty, poured out the wrath that was due us on his son, with whom he was not angry, in order to save, listen, oh listen, in order to save sinners with whom he was angry eternally. Oh, how great a gospel we have. How could we neglect to give as our heavenly father has given to us. Can I ask you what price? What price is too high that we should not pay it for the sake of having one other person? Just one. If not the millions on the planet, the billions who don't know Jesus, what price is too high to pay in order that they might hear the gospel? There isn't any. 
Which leads us to the fourth picture that we see, and it is the first of two examples that Luke shows us. Why, why Barnabas? Who is this Barnabas? Notice it there in verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Levite, the native of Cyprus, he sold a field, belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Who is this Barnabas? Well, Luke has a way, if you're following in Acts, Luke has a way of introducing things before they actually happen. What Luke is actually doing here is he's saying, hey, this Barnabas guy, he's going to come up later. So make sure you highlight his name. We're going to come back to him. He becomes very important later on in the narrative. But that's not the only reason. His name was Joseph, and he seems to make much of reminding us that the nickname Barnabas only came because the apostles gave it to him. And why did they give it to him? Well, the name means son of encouragement. They've seen in Barnabas a, a kind of person that that gives encouragement. And so we don't have time to look at these this morning. But chapter nine, we see that whenever Paul was saved and he was feared by those Christians in Jerusalem, Barnabas came to his aid and introduced the two of them together. When Paul refused to take Mark on his second missionary journey, who was it that came between them and resolved the conflict there it was Barnabas. When the Christians of Jerusalem became concerned about all those Christians at Antioch and what they were teaching, who was it that saw the work of the Antioch Christians and said, hey, let me encourage you? It's Barnabas. Chapter 11, verse 24 says about his life, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I, I, I want that to be the description of my life. So we also learn that Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus, but not a whole lot is made of that. Maybe it becomes significant later, but here, at least in this passage, not a whole lot is made about it. And he clearly owned land. The Bible says that he sold it. And if the whole church knew about it, he's using it. Luke is using it here as an example to Theophilus. It was obviously known that he had done this. It was not just something that he had done, but it was instructive to the church, not boastful. Not prideful, but instructive to the church. What does that show us? Well, watch this. Don't miss it. Giving actually becomes a means of corporate encouragement. Barnabas was the kind of man who said, let's, is there a need? Show me the need because let's meet the need together. Let's do that. Because God is going to be glorified in that. This is the kind of man that Barnabas was, even leading by example. You see, the reality is the more of us who give, the more the church body is encouraged. It's hard to do ministry when you watch giving go down. And you have to say, you know, that's a really legitimate need. But we can't do it because we don't have the money. But what kind of culture is it whenever the church says, you know what? We'll find a way. We'll meet the need. And we will give until it hurts for the sake of people to hear the gospel. Is that not, is that not what God would intend for us? And how encouraging is that? Because when you give, man, I want to give some more to come alongside that. So we can do incredible things for the Lord. It's an encouragement to the body of Christ. Fifth and finally, and we'll close. Generous giving is a matter of personal obedience. You know, I asked the question at the beginning, is, is this an obligation? 
Is it sinful not to give? Well, Luke gives us two examples. He gives us the life of Barnabas. And then he gives us what seems to be an incredibly harsh story until you realize what we've already been talking about. Until you see it in the greater context of what the whole point of Acts is. And that is to see the mission go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And when you see two people act as selfishly as they did to prevent, essentially, to prohibit, to stand in the way of the gospel going forward. That's how Luke sees this. And clearly, that's how Peter sees this and how the church sees it. So notice here at the beginning of chapter five, just walk through this with me briefly. A man named Ananias, his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, In other words, they conspired. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And you go, what's what's up, God? I mean, he gave. Doesn't he get a pat on the back for that? But Peter says, Peter looks at Ananias. Peter didn't pull out his Bible and give a sermon on giving. Peter looked at Ananias in the eyes and said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back? For yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. It's not that that we necessarily have to give God everything that we have, although if God requires it of us, if he asks us to do that, certainly we would do that. Amen. That's what we should be willing to do. But this amount, these were very well off people and they kept back part of the proceeds. And all they're doing is waiving this this amount of money that they're giving in order to bring attention to themselves. But in reality, they're not going without at all. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, it did not remain your own. It brings it to an intentional, personal accountability for them. After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, Ananias, you had the decision. You made the decision to lie and to not give. He says, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Begin inside. Have you not lied or you have not lied to man, but to God? It's not accountability to the church or accountability to other believers. Ultimately, it's accountability to God himself. After that, he fell down dead. Young men wrapped him up, carried him out. Then his wife comes in about three hours later. Same thing happens to her. And he says, you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. This is a conspiracy. So follow this. They selfishly withheld money. They lied about it. The selfishness was not just on the outside, it was within them, in their heart. They conspired together to do this. They are personally accountable and they don't just answer to the church, they answer to God. Every one of us. There is direct personal accountability to the church, to one another, before God for our giving. Because it says... The last phrase, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. If it were just the story, we may be able to chalk it up and say, yeah, but that was Ananias and Sapphira. It's that final phrase that is troubling the most, you see. Because it's that final phrase that says that this is instructive for us. We, 
selfishly withhold. We give what we give and lie to the Holy Spirit. We have selfish hearts. We conspire. By the way, that could be even corporate, entire churches. And that definitely impacts the ministry of the church. We are personally accountable. It's not just a sermon on giving that's given to a general audience. This is the voice of God to you. You have direct personal accountability to the church before God for your generous giving. So to answer the question directly, it is a matter of personal obedience. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me all across the room. This morning, as we consider these things that we have seen and heard and the call upon the life of the Christian to be generous in our giving. God does, in fact, expect the church to give. And to give with generous hearts to support the ministry of the gospel, it's what we've been called to do. So we need to get that right this morning. I would say to three different people this morning, person number one, you're here this morning and you have been faithfully, even sacrificially giving over the last four months. And maybe even before that, you just have a pattern of giving in your life or maybe maybe you're new to this whole giving thing and you just dove in head first. And can I just say to you, praise God and bless God for that decision in your life because God is going to bless that in big ways. Keep giving and give in bigger ways. Ask the Lord even to provide more resources that you might give more for the sake of His kingdom. God has been known to answer that prayer. And God is going to take that precious gift. And though He is in need of nothing, He's going to bless your obedience and he's going to use it for his glory. And he's going to take the gospel through us to the ends of the earth. May it be so. The second person this morning, you're in this room. And maybe you've been faithful in the past. Or maybe you're not being faithful right now. Maybe you don't have much and you just don't see how you could even give. Maybe, maybe. You give a little every now and then, but you're just simply not faithful and not sacrificial. Maybe the call on God, the call of God on your life today, right now, is to begin a pattern of giving. For the sake of his glory and his gospel to the ends of the earth. And you need to do that. You need to obey the Lord. You say it's hard. Yes, it's hard. You say I don't have much. God provides He takes care of our needs. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added to you. That is the promise of the scriptures. Be faithful. There is a third person either in this room or online. And to that person, I would say to you, you have never received the greatest gift that was offered for you. You don't know what it means for the Lord to be the master of your finances or anything else, because frankly, you are in rebellion against God. And today you need to be saved. You need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Your sins ultimately bring condemnation forever in your life. But Jesus Christ took took your sin upon himself. He took the wrath of God in your place. It was do us. He became our substitute. And when he took it for us, 
The Bible teaches that through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that we are justified, no longer condemned. We are forgiven and set free for all of eternity. But today the decision is before you. Will you trust in the cross and surrender your life to Jesus? Believe that God has raised him from the dead and be saved? Or will you continue to try to be the Lord of your own life? The decision is yours. For one, you are, it is a decision for which you are personally accountable today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to stand this morning. Whether you're online, maybe you're here in this room, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. The music's going to play. And it's a time for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. This altar is going to be open. I want to invite you to come in just a few moments as I pray to come and trust in the Lord. You say, I want to be saved today. You come down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to be saved. Will you help me? I'll help you. Maybe you want to spend some time here in prayer. Whatever the case is, this is the moment when we respond to the Lord as he has called on us. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in this place and that you would be honored in our giving God, thank you for the greatest gift that has ever been given in Jesus. And we pray today that the lost would be saved and that the saved would be obedient as we follow you in your word for the sake of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So music begins to play. The altar is open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.